0: Welcome to another podcast with me, Andrew Gray. I'm the owner and founder of Truth Legal Solicitors. We specialise in personal injury law, employment law, clinical negligence, property disputes and a few other areas of the law. Normally we're either suing people or defending people, that's what we do. Now, with my personal injury hat on, and I've been a personal injury solicitor since 2005, I have summarised the 14 common mistakes that personal injury clients make. In this podcast, I'm going to go through those 14 points. There's a blog of mine as well on our website and you can go through it on there as well. Now, the first mistake that personal injury clients make when they embark upon this process after having had a horrible accident, whatever it was, a road traffic accident or accident at work or wherever it is, unlucky you and you are faced with whether they need to bring a claim, yes or no, and you decide to do so. One of the first mistakes is that you are put off bringing a claim because you think there'll be a court hearing and that a court hearing will involve a jury. May I allay your fears because both of those things are unlikely. First of all, there is a 1%, I think, prospect that if you start a personal injury claim, the matter will go to a court hearing where you'll have to give evidence or some witnesses have to give evidence on your behalf. Normally speaking, the larger the value of the claim, so the more significant your injuries and losses are, the more likelihood it is that it will go to a trial. But I still put the prospects of it as being one in a hundred. So you'd have to be rather unlucky for it to go to a trial. But will it involve a jury? Absolutely not. Jury trials are usually for criminal matters and maybe defamation matters, so there will be no jury. If it was to go to a court, a personal injury claim would be heard by a judge, just one judge, and the court will be rather empty because personal injury claims are quite a bit common and not that interesting to the general public, although the general public may sit there as well. Number two, a mistake that personal injury clients often make is to think that the lawyer whom they've instructed always has their case on their mind. Now, if only it was... that way. Lawyers, I have to tell you, can be very busy. In particular, personal injury lawyers can be some of the busiest. And I know some law firms where they're paralegals, which are people who are, generally speaking, unqualified. They might have a law degree, they might not. But I know some paralegals that have had up to 550 road traffic accident claims at any one time to run. Now, can you imagine 550 claims bringing those you can't even remember all those names. I think a, a big wedding might have 150 guests. So to have more than three times, only five, three, sorry, four times that number of people you're acting for at any one time is simply insane. So if you are, do have a lawyer who's got 550 clients, you ought to know that they simply cannot have you at the forefront of their mind all the time. So when you are instructing a lawyer, ask them, how many cases will you have at any one time? because I want a really good relationship with my lawyer, as you should. Thirdly, never think that you're asking a stupid question. Often, when people are instructing a personal injury lawyer, they've never instructed a lawyer before. They don't want to instruct a personal injury lawyer. They'd rather not have had the accident, not have had any injuries, and the whole process to you is most befuddling, as it would be to anybody. Now, what I say is that what you do in your lives, and your jobs, is outside of my comfort zone. I probably couldn't do most of your jobs, and you probably struggle to do mine as well. So, in the same way that when you take your car in, and the mechanic says some part of the, the car is broken, and you should ask him, uh, ask him for more information, so you should with your personal injury lawyer. From the bottom of my heart, there are no stupid questions If a client and a lawyer have a really good relationship where the lawyer understands what the client understands and doesn't understand, it becomes a fantastic team between the two. If, however, on the other hand, the client doesn't understand the process and worse still doesn't understand it and doesn't feel that they can ask the lawyer the questions, it's likely the lawyer doesn't do a very good job for the client and everybody's rather puzzled it's not a nice process for anybody. So ask questions. There are no stupid questions, I promise you. Now then, number four, when you come to this process for personal injury claim, please don't assume that it's going to be easy. Now, some claims are easier than others, and they tend to be where the injuries are less significant and often when they're road traffic accident claims. But even in road traffic accident claims, the process is a bit complicated. And I know from our lawyers here, if one of my lawyers asks a question about what to do in a particular personal injury claim, the personal injury team, they may all disagree as to the right way forwards, because there isn't always a simple black and white answer. In fact, if you're not used to dealing with litigators like me and my firm, litigators are people that bring and defend civil claims. If you're not used to dealing with them, you'll be really surprised when you find that they're there's no black and white, yes and no answers. It's often many different shades of grey. So don't assume that a claim is going to be easy and you're not stupid if you don't understand the process. Just ask and ask away. If you want more information and you don't want to ask a lawyer, I've got an e-book, personal injury e-book on truthlegal.com that you can download for free. Now then, the fifth mistake I see personal injury clients make I have seen this throughout my entire legal career. It's nothing new. Is that you fail to keep evidence? Now, you should approach personal injury claim like any insurance claim. Imagine your house is broken into. I hope it isn't. Imagine your house broken into and uh, twenty items are taken, including like a fifty-inch plasma screen uh, TV, your iPod dating back from the very first one in two thousand and one, and etc. etc you would have to evidence to the insurance company that you had those things, otherwise they're not gonna compensate you for them. The same is so for a personal injury claim. You now, if you have been unable to go on holiday uh, because of an accident, you need to prove that you had bought that holiday and that you couldn't go. You know, if you've got dogs and you can't walk them, can we see pictures of the dogs? Um, if you've traveled 20 times to see a physiotherapist, can we see your mileage and know where the physiotherapists or GPs are? Um, etc etc there's no full list I can give you of the evidence that you should keep but if in doubt just keep anything so if your life has changed at all because of an accident write it down take photographs of it with your smartphone put it on a diary or an excel spreadsheet it doesn't matter send your lawyers hundreds of pieces of receipts hopefully marked with what is a what we won't be unhappy we like evidence so If there is any evidence, keep it, send it to us, and we will certainly thank you for it. Now, the sixth mistake I see people make time and again is settling a personal injury claim without obtaining any medical evidence. Now, normally this would happen in a road traffic accident situation where I had an accident, maybe you've been rear end shunted, and the other driver's insurers rings you up and say it was their fault, which is good, and then they say they'll give you, say, £1,400 for your injuries and settle your claim in full and final compensation. Occasionally that £400 might be the right sum of money for your case, but I really encourage you not to accept it or certainly to be very skeptical about accepting any amount of compensation without having full medical evidence. Unless you a it yourself, do you really know the full impact of the accident on your life? I don't know. I'd be dubious myself as a personal injury lawyer settling a claim for me if I didn't have the full medical evidence. So speak to your lawyers if you've got lawyers, and if you don't have a, a lawyer acting for a personal injury claim, do consider getting some pro bono free advice. Now then, the seventh mistake I often see people make who going through this process is to rely only upon the report from a general practitioner, a GP a GP medical report now in low value claims or where the injuries aren't very serious and you make a very quick recovery a GP report is probably the right thing to rely upon but if your injuries are a bit more significant and they affect different parts of your body and they last a longer period of time I'd be very skeptical about relying just on a GP report and a GP stands for a general practitioner as most of you know there, when you go to see your GP you go with some general things sure but very often your GP will need to refer you to a consultant and it's likely if you, your GP refers you to a consultant in your personal injury claim you'll also need to be seen by the same type of consultant. The eighth mistake I see time and time again is the assumption by people that all sort of personal injury law firms are the same and they've got the same skill sets. Now that isn't true. It's not true of any job or any shop, is it really? I see quite frequently people who've had road traffic accidents being referred by their insurers to panel solicitors who are often in the middle of nowhere. Now, sometimes I'm sure they can do an absolutely splendid job by you, but uh, you must ask yourself whether they are the right people to act for you. So some questions that you should ask when you're shopping around is, you know, is the law firm near you? That might be important to you, it might not be. I know we don't always get to meet all our clients, but it's great to meet as many as we possibly can. You need to ask whether you'll be represented by a qualified solicitor or legal executive, or is it just going to be paralegal. I encourage you very much so to demand that a fully qualified legal professional represents you in your case. If it feels a bit iffy to you, if you don't feel like you trust the person who's acting for you, don't instruct them. In a the sense, when you're shopping around law firms, you are a commodity, and you need to see yourself in that way and the law firms will make money if they win your case. So you can shop around negotiating good terms and showing that the right person acting for you. Ask the person who might act for you, you know, how many files do they have? Is it 50? Is it 550? I would, I would want, if it was me, to have a qualified solicitor or legal executive acting for me who has a smaller number of files Also, ask where the profits go. What does the law firm do with their money? Maybe that's important to you, maybe it isn't. I mean, do they offer any free legal advice on their website or in person? Get empowered. It's your case. You are essentially a, I hate to say it, but a bit of a pot of money to a law firm. So, you know, seize control of the process. Don't just be bullied into or feel bullied into uh, selecting any particular law firm at all. You don't have to bring the claim in any event. And number nine, I don't accept, assume that all lawyers are equally skilled and experienced. I mean, I've been a solicitor since 2007, but I certainly couldn't advise you on family law, criminal law, conveyancing, in fact, intellectual property law, and most areas of law, really. we just, we solicitors these days only know a few areas of law. If you go back sort of more than 10 years or so, lawyers tended to be more generic with what they knew. They would perhaps be the family lawyer that would do the speeding fines, the divorces, the wills, etc. Those days have gone. It makes the professions uh, perhaps better than they were, but maybe the job gets a little bit more stale in some ways. But we are generally better at what we did than what we did some years ago. And number 10, this is a particular bugbear of mine, is settling the claim too soon. It's a common mistake that people make, I see it time and again injury claims can take a long time from start to finish. I fully appreciate that, but that often is down to the injuries themselves. If the injury takes a long time to recover from, then the best advice a lawyer can normally give is to wait until you made a full recovery before settling the claim. Now, you can't always wait a full recovery before settling the claim, but it's a good idea to do so because the lawyers will then know what the full value of the case is. If you try settling, for example, a road traffic accident whiplash claim, and you're six months after the accident and you're still suffering from whiplash in your shoulders and your neck and your back, and you think, well, I'll be better in about three months' time, so says the medical expert, and I think I will anyway. If you settle it there, then the claim is limited to what the the GP has said at that time. It could be though that by the time that you're supposed to have recovered, you haven't recovered. And it could be that your injuries are actually getting worse. If that's the case, it's likely that you've undersettled your claim and you won't be able to go back to the insurers and ask for any more money. Your only opportunity if your claim is unsettled is to potentially sue your lawyers if they haven't advised you not to settle their claim. So be mindful, be patient if you can, wait until you made a full recovery. And if your injury is so severe that you simply can't make a full recovery, ensure that the medical evidence is as complete as it can be. Now, number 11, I see this occasionally. Some people believe that they can settle a personal injury claim without using a lawyer. And I guess it happens. I don't always see whether it's a good outcome or not. But my experience has been very much so that clients who try settling with insurers, they get this feeling that they're getting undersettled, and therefore they call a solicitor like ourselves and say, oh, the insurer is offering me, let's say, £2,000 for my claim. Is that a good amount? And very frequently we will look at it and go, well, actually, no, it should be considerably more than that. And in any event, you're still injured. How can we possibly value the claim? Lo- they say the insurers will often say, well, you'll save yourself some money by not having a solicitor, but that is rarely so. Occasionally, it might be better not to use a lawyer, but I haven't come across such a situation, but I suppose it is possible. Number 12. I see this mistake a a lot. Um, I'm sure all personal injury solicitors around the country will say the same thing: is that their clients often fail to keep records of their financial losses. If you've suffered any losses, for example, you're at home in the winter off work because you're injured, your heating bill's gone up, so that should factor in as part of your claim. If you've got a car outside, your house that you can't drive because you're you've broken at your ankle, for example, but well, you might be making monthly payments on that and MOT payments and insurance and, and the like. Now that's unfair when you they all should be added to the claim. Sometimes people have crazy credit card bills that had to rack up because they can't work because of an accident. Again, some of the interest payments on that ought to be recovered as well. There's no list as to the elements of financial losses that you could suffer. so if in doubt, bite it down and send it to your personal injury solicitor or legal executive. Now number 13, and we're getting there folks, And a mistake which happens t- all the time is that you, when you're going through this process, you get to see a medical expert and you're perhaps a little bit nervous seeing a medical expert or the medical expert is a bit short of time and all your symptoms, you don't explain them to the expert and the expert hasn't asked you. If that's the case, when the medical report actually arrives, us lawyers, we look at it and go, okay, that looks okay or not okay, whatever it may be, and we send it over to you for your instructions. And often you'll say to us, well, it doesn't say about my you know, uh, right toe that is a bit knackered since the accident, or my shoulder is stiff, or this, that, or the other. There's no real list of things that could have been missed. If you haven't explained it to the expert, and the expert's not asked you, it is difficult to then get that into the report. If it's not in a report, the other side aren't going to compensate you for it. So I ask you to seize control of this process. When you see the expert, ensure that you have explained absolutely every part of the impact on your life to that expert and that they've understood it. I'm not asking you to oversell it in any way. I really don't want you to do that. But I want you to be in control. The The experts, are seeing you doing their job. They're not there to make you get better. They're there to help you value your claim and they're acting impartially on behalf of the courts. So make their lives easier and bear in mind that the experts aren't perfect as well. Now then finally, number 14. Frequent bugbear for personal injury lawyers around the country is that their clients are shy, shall we say, in explaining the psychological or mental side of an injury. I'd estimate that with most accident claims there's a psychological component to the injury, whether it's being unable to sleep at night, having flashbacks and uh, nervousness around certain things, whether it becomes more serious, for example, post traumatic stress disorder. You need to feel comfortable telling your lawyer about your mental health problems. It's very common that there'll be a mental health problem associated with an accident. And even a low value uh, injury, uh, sorry, an injury where the injuries aren't so significant even they can have a psychological component to them as well. And they are worth something. So, you know, be open with your lawyers. I know it's difficult talking about mental health problems, and I've blogged about the subject myself. So talk to your lawyer about it, and you will certainly find yourself better off for doing so. So thank you for your time. They're the 14 things I've come across. If you think there's other sort of mistakes that you've made or you know people have made in their personal injury process, please email me andrewg at truthleer.com and I shall email you back and I shall update my blog and my podcast. Thank you for your time.